0: Hello everyone and welcome to Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast. Welcome to episode four. I am Jeremy Graves, and I am joined, as per usual,
1: by my good friend, Mr. Andy Hanley. Andy, how's it going today? Yeah, yeah, m- much better than the first take on this intro where we bundled it. So this 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 is good. This is good. <laughs> uh peek behind the curtain and no one's gonna hear. There you go. <laughs> so Andy, we're we're near the
0: end of season one at this point. It's kind of hard to say, I say season one, I mean season one of the episodes that we're reviewing, not the actual end of series of this podcast.
1: Yeah. Yeah. This, this would be a weird place to to leave off. Although, I mean, I guess given the the continuity stuff in the show that we're covering, like maybe this would be the right time to like end season one randomly. And then we'll (laughs) like come back and talk about like three episodes that happened previously. But anyway, getting ahead of ourselves. Now, there we go. Well, in terms of what we are
0: talking about today, everybody, we will be focusing on episodes 11, 12, and 13 of Transformers Season 1. Those episode titles, for those of you curious now, are War of the Dinobots, Countdown to Extinction, and Fire in the Sky. So, Andy, before we get to just discussing each episode in depth, we've sort of done a little bit of a summary of what we thought of these episodes going in. So any general or brief thoughts
1: as to what you thought about these episodes going in? Yeah, well, I mean, two things on a couple of different levels. Like the first is that these are three really good, solid episodes. Um, kind of following on almost from like the ultimate doom, kind of breaking with the the tradition of those early episodes of being a very simple, like, oh, the Decepticons are looking for an energy source. They find it, fisticuffs you know, story ends, you know, like the ultimate doom up to the ante somewhat. And this feels like it sort of continues kind of in a similar vein, like it's sort of more character centric, but it it doesn't just go for kind of the low hanging fruit of like, you know, battle for energy. Um, So that's kind of nice. It feels quite refreshing. Um, this was also like, these were the episodes that kind of finally let me pull together some of the timeline of how I originally watched Transformers in my head. And like when I started watching the cartoon on TV, because I think kind of like the Dinobots introduction episodes that we've covered was probably like the first episode that I saw actually on TV. The ultimate doom was kind of when I was like, oh, this is really cool. And from this point on, the reason that these episodes stick with me is because I recorded them off the TV onto a VHS tape. Ah. Like these remaining, all of the remaining episodes of season one, I very vividly recall having them all on a VHS tape where I stuck the little letters that you got with the VHS tapes to spell out Transformers on it. <laughs> um, and that was like my do not record over this I didn't realize you could snap off the tabs because I was like five Um, and that 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 was like my Transformers tape Uh, which led me down a whole other rabbit hole of like what actually what VHS releases of the Transformers were, were there in the UK and the answer was basically nothing for season one Like, they released more than meets the eye, the the original episodes. But the rest of it, apparently it it ran on TV, like, until, like, about 1990 or something. Like, those episodes were just in circulation on terrestrial TV for years. So nobody bothered putting them on video because it's like, well, why would you? Because they're on TV all the time. So all of the, like, the the UK VHS tapes were all, like, season two and three, which never aired on on British TV, which explained why I, I had never saw most of them. Because they literally never got an airing and they were all just, you know, kind of straight to video for a UK audience.
0: Yeah, it's funny you mention that because I'm, if I look hard enough in the loft, I might be able to find it at some point. But I'm pretty sure I've still got one of the old VHS tapes of season two somewhere. Because I remember watching that thing relentlessly. I can't remember exactly what episodes they are. It might have been, so what about the Dinobots? I remember that much. I, just, I don't know the season two titles off the top of my head. But it, it is a very interesting moment when you can suddenly start piecing little bits of information together like that and, and timelines, like you say, which in itself, the timelines that these episodes take place in the Transformers continuity at the best of times are a bit suspect now, <laughs> especially in one of them. But but these episodes in general, I've got to say, I think, like you mentioned, th- these are really good. I think these are, these are super good episodes, even just as potential like, introductory episodes. If you just ask someone, hey, you should check out an episode, give this one a watch. I would say all of them you could give to a first-time viewer and they would definitely get something out of it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, they all stand alone relatively nicely because they are kind of character-focused and because they're focused on introducing characters as well. Like, you don't necessarily need a whole lot of prior knowledge of, you know, things that have happened before. I mean, kind of like, you know, arguably... The, the sort of the, the middle of these three episodes is the only one that has any kind of like prior knowledge. And even that just has, you know, our cool Transformers narrator doing some cool narration to be like, hey, remember the ultimate doom that, you know, <laughs> happened longer ago than it should have done in this continuity. But like, here's, here's what it was. Um, so yeah, yeah, they, they definitely stand uh, stand alone pretty nicely as well. Yeah, we might come
0: on to it at the end, actually, because in terms of like I am not too sure what the production order element of things is. And I know we've touched on that a few times, but just watching these episodes now, it does make me wonder about maybe what the ideal order to watch season one is. Because there are certainly a few ideas you could have to that now at this point. This is before we've even got to the final three episodes
1: broadcast order, if I call it. Yeah. That. Yeah, because I mean War of the Dinobots and Far in the Sky were both like before the Ultimate Doom in production order, which makes sense, because as we were talking about on the last episode, you know, Skyfire is in that episode, the other two Dinobots are in that episode, and it's like, what the heck, where did they come from? And they come from these two episodes that aired after it, whereas um, uh, Down to Extinction in the middle of these was produced directly after the Ultimate Doom, which is why it is a direct follow-on. Mm. But weirdly, they kind of, again, I assume this was just down to actual, like, timelines for dubbing or or something like that or something else that caused them to shift it around because you know clearly it wasn't it didn't follow directly on in terms of when it was broadcast it does again just having watched
0: these episodes now and i don't remember what the last three episodes that we'll be doing next time are like exactly but at the moment i would almost say ultimate doom and countdown to extinction should just be the season one finale based on how things wrap up Because it it was, like, such a big ending, just with all of that going on.
1: Yeah, like, weirdly, if I recall, like, the final three episodes that we'll we'll cover in the next show were kind of produced towards the end. But it is weird, because in my kid brain, like, The Ultimate Doom was, like, the end of the series. And I don't know, like, well, I do know why I remember that, because it feels like a season finale. Like, even when you're, like, five, that feels like the big... You know, they literally brought Cybertron into Earth's orbit. Like, you know, they did the big thing that is your big end of season set piece. So it is sort of weird that that's sort of just floating around in the middle of the season somewhere. But uh, but hey ho, hey, such as such a cartoons in the 1980s, I guess. <laughs> so with that being said, let's get on to the first episode we are talking about today, which is episode
0: 11: War of the Dinobots we begin the episode with a panning shot across the night sky to an observatory where chip chase has spotted a giant meteor heading for the earth via a telescope his assistant simply known as jeff i don't know if he ever comes back but jeff uh, isn't able to get any readings on it which prompts a message to the autobots alerting them of the impending danger prime hound Wheeljack, ironhide ratchet and spike arrive on the scene with chip informing them that the meteor is due to hit earth tonight. Which, in an interesting character trait for, for, I was about to say for Megatron, but that's completely wrong. Uh, for Optimus Prime, he reacts to this by saying that the meteor could be a source of energy. Sorry, let me get the phrasing: an energy source of incalculable strength. And while he's saying this, like his sort of his right hand is glowing red, like with power, <laughs> which was quite weird, and it almost made me think. Is Megatron turning... Megatron, I've got to stop doing that. Is Optimus <laughs> Prime turning bad for a moment there? Because it just seemed very out of character for him to say that. But it didn't needs, need to rise. Though it should be noted that they said they're immediately going to go after the meteor for where it's going to land, but they will also bring some extra muscle with them in the form of the Dinobot. So might as well just stop there for a second, Andy. In terms of this setup, and I guess Optimus Prime's hand being glowing red, any thoughts on just this initial setup for the episode?
1: I mean, one. I guess if your name, if you're, if you're, if you're in the the Transformers and you've just been named Jeff, you know that you're not going to be a recurring character. <laughs> it's like you're you're there next to like Spark Plug and Chip Chase, and it's like, oh, I'm just Jeff. I'm 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 gone after this scene. <laughs> um, but the the other thing that struck me about this, everyone pretty blasé about the fact that there's an incoming meteor that's about to crash into the planet. Like you know, Chip's just like, oh. Cool, a meteor and like Spike's like, Well, I can't be worse than the Decepticons. I'm like, Have you people not seen Deep Impact? Like, oh no, sorry, actually you haven't. That film came out after this series. But like, you know, that everyone was kind of a little bit blasé about the thing that ironically wiped out the dinosaurs. And they're just like, oh, cool, a meteor. That'll be interesting. And it's like, I, <laughs> I've, I've, I felt like I, I, I had more of a feeling of urgency than any of the Autobots or anybody involved with them did, because that seems like it could have been a lot worse than, than it ultimately turned out to be. So they were, they were right to be kind of chill about it, because it just turned out to be a kind of cool, glowing rock.
0: Yeah, you were talking about, have you not seen this? There was also part of me initially, it was going, do you not remember the Ultimate Doom? Oh wait, you probably don't, do you? Because it's (laughs) technically not happened yet. So, that aside. Cut to Decepticon HQ, where Megatron, actual Megatron at this point now, because I can't say character names properly, is reviewing footage of the Dinobots in action against them from previous battles, which I've put in plural, because I don't think that footage was of battles against them specifically, but i'm not to know and he is livid about how they were bested by the dinobots my finest warriors defeated by those primitive pea-brained beasts revolting as megatron said (laughs) just because any bad guy that says the word revolting i think is a winner right there personally you don't hear that enough starscream points out that they were beaten by their sheer brute force that being from the dinobots but megatron disagrees and says it was because they they had a lack of strategy This prompts Megatron to task Soundwave with discovering what the Dinobot's weak points are. Cut to Soundwave arriving at what appears to be an abandoned town outside of a city, taking care not to be seen by the Autobots who are also with Chip and Spike as they are already in that same location. He proceeds to spy on them by using an inbuilt extendable mic from his tape deck form. Moments later, the meteorite comes crashing down, and after Ironhide saves Chip and Spike from... an a near miss, let's say, when it comes to some falling debris. Prime decrees that they need to start analysing the meteorite urgently, as it may contain unknown. Uh, it may contain energy unknown to Autobot sciences. <laughs> I love that phrasing. Then they pro- then, of course, after he says that, Andy, yo, know, this may contain unknown energy to Autobot sciences. He then probably just shoots a bit off with his gun.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's, I mean, I believe that is the scientific method of just like, you know, if if there's an unknown substance and you're unsure of the reaction that it will have, you just shoot it and you see what happens. That's that's the the well-known scientific theory right there.
0: With that done, the Dinobots are tasked with guarding the meteorite as the remaining Autobots then roll out, pun slightly intended there, back to HQ to analyse the fragment. It's during their exit of this scene that Optimus Prime makes it known to Spike and Chip that he's happy with the Dinobots and thinks it will be worth Wheeljack making two more of them. At Autobot HQ, Andy, it's dinosaur lesson time with Chip suggesting that a Stegosaurus and a and a Tyrannodon, I think I pronounced that right because I always thought it was a Pterodactyl, but apparently <laughs> I'm wrong. Uh, being the next two that are built with Wheeljack and Ratchet in agreement of these decisions. So I like the fact that in terms of sort of again thinking about the continuity element here and, and really emphasizing just how strong the Dinobots are I like the fact that Megatron is really annoyed that they just got bested by new Autobots that they didn't know and that they can't beat them and again we have that back and forth with Starscream but just the element that they're really emphasizing how strong the Dinobots are I really, really like that because there have been far too many times when you think back on the episodes where clearly the Decepticons have just been, have just had too much muscle compared to the Autobots.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of one of the things and this. It is one of those you can, you can never be sure whether this was sort of written with any kind of like intent in the original like series Bible. But it's kind of one of the one of the good things that this kind of the, the Transformers as a whole, like does throughout its run because you know, later on you get to the point where it's like well the autobots don't have any you know i mean they can all fly but like they don't have any actual like aircraft transformers and so like you know like the aerial bots come about and and i do like how there is that sort of um that kind of almost technical angle to the wall where it's that constant like, you know, one side creates something new and then the other side has to to match it. It's like, you know, you have the the constructor cons or the Decepticon side and the whole like gestalt thing. Um and, and all of that kind of stuff. And and this is kind of one of those good moments where yeah, you do get the feeling that if it was like a a tag team wrestling tournament, um, and not like, you know, a, a wall for energy, then the Decepticons would win because they they have the muscle, they have the brawn. The puns intended about the Autobots literally having brawn. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and, and then like the Dinobots kind of like, you know, shift that balance the other way. So I, I do like that as well. I do also like the fact that the solution to the problem here isn't just like Megatron being like, destroy the Dinobots, like, find a way to destroy them, like, there's a smarter play that he has here, um, and again, I think that's one of the things that's refreshing about this episode, because again, the Transformers does it, and a lot of cartoons do it, where you have a very, like, the leader of the bad guys is kind of dumb, and has stupid ideas for, like, how to win the war, or do whatever it is that they need to do, whereas at least here, you know this and the ultimate theme like previously are kind of like interesting sort of like bigger ideas from megatron than just like ah, we will just you know just attack just beat them um and, and i think that kind of that plays quite nicely is as, as sort of a bit of again gives a bit of variety to the story rather than just the the usual like oh here's an excuse for a fight scene
0: yeah i will add to that as well but in terms of so the megatron starscream dynamic and again i know Our podcast is called Starscream's Ghost, and we've talked about previously how I just didn't realize how much, quite simply, influence Starscream had on various aspects of the show. But I actually, it sort of really occurred to me in this episode in particular, where Starscream is probably pointing out what most viewers would say. Like, if we're talking about continuity, it's like, we lost to them because of their brute force. And then that's the obvious thing to say, because they're blooming strong. But then Megatron just adding, no, 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 strategy. You didn't have strategy. And it adds like a little bit of a deeper play, even though Starscream is very intelligent in his own right. Well, in his own right, occasionally, I'll say. But it's just a nice little bit of extra detail there, I
1: thought. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that is very much kind of part of Starscream's role in this series. And we do get some peak Starscream throughout these episodes. Like, we have plenty to look forward to there. Um, (laughs) But yeah, like, he is also there to be the person that, like, points out an obvious flaw in a plan, uh, and then have, like, Megatron be like, shut up, Starscream. Um, And, you know, maybe bounce something off his head. Um, But, um, yeah, like, it it, it does really work quite well when you have that that angle to it. Because, I mean, it's like, Starscream like, canonically is, like, I'm pretty sure his like tech specs are—he's like a scientist or something. And we that, find you know, we find that out later in the episode. And yes, yeah, and and you end up finding that out, and and that that kind of comes through in the cartoon as well. And so, like you know, he is clearly supposed to be quite kind of smart, like even if he doesn't always seem like it. Maybe maybe not always street smart is is what's going <laughs> on there. But uh, but yeah, like it's 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 a good dynamic. Like it's. it's And it's kind of multi-purpose and the series is pretty good at using it for, for all of those various purposes. Back at the meteorite landing zone with the Dinobots alone,
0: Soundwave performs a remote brain scan on each Dinobot and then reports back to Megatron. Megatron's assessment of each is that Slag is hostile, Grimlock is arrogant and Sludge is stupid. He plans to make them turn on the Autobots and to get them to help get the Decepticons the meteorite for themselves. The Decepticons make for the meteorite landing zone, and after a quick battle with the Seeker jets, Megatron arrives, literally just stands in the way of all the firepower that Dinobots is throwing at them, at him rather, and convinces the Dinobots that they're stronger than everyone, even like taking his arm cannon off and kind of yielding in front of them and whatnot. It was a really, really cool bit of play acting by Megatron there. And obviously emphasizing that the strongest should be leader, something that resonates with Grimlock quite a bit. After some quick conversing between the three Dinobots, including an awkward animation moment, Andy, which I'm guessing you probably picked up on as well, where Slag and Sludge are having a conversation only with a close-up
1: shot of Slag. <laughs> yeah, who, who is... Who is uh, yes, yeah, I think it is that way, right, isn't it? But yeah, like, either way, yeah, like, like his his lip flaps are for both characters as well. Like, mm-hmm. that's, uh, that's one of those moments where I wonder whether that was simply like a kind of, because the thing to remember with with all of this stuff is it usually gets animated and then the voices get put on afterwards you know and they're animating based on the scripts and storyboards i suspect there might have been something a little bit lost in translation like lingually there given that you know much of the animation was being done in japan by toei and i suspect that maybe somebody didn't read something right there and thought oh both of these lines are from the same character here you go there are your lip flaps and then of course probably by the time it got to to dubbing and the adr stuff they're just like just just match the lip flaps on both they're kids <laughs> they won't notice it's it's probably fine <laughs> and they decide ultimately that, that being the dynabots that the autobots
0: are now their enemies and prime will be destroyed with the Dinobots having been manipulated megatron orders the seeker jets to take the meteorite back to their base and asks the Dinobots if he could suggest a way to help them take out their new enemy so a lot a lot still going on there but i just i really like the build-up of this episode andy it's just got a nice good pace about it there's a clear direction going on megatron's manipulation is the one i was thinking of there It's just, it's so good. And the way he plays it to convince the Dinobots to, to turn sides effectively, it's so well done. And especially from a writing perspective, it works brilliantly.
1: Yeah, and I I think that's one of the other things. Like throughout all all three of the episodes we're talking about today, is the pacing is really on point with all of them. Like again, go back to like more than meets the eye, where it felt like it was having to rush through its material and kind of everything was at breakneck speed. Everything here feels like it has its place, and it just kind of like goes through the steps of its narrative as it wants to at the pace that it wants to. And yeah, like it's just nice because it. It's not just a simple, you know, action series. Like this is kind of, you know, there's there's a really interesting psychology here to, you know, what Megatron's doing. It's a really interesting thing just in terms of like, you know, the Dinobots aren't from Cybertron, like, or at least in this continuity. And so they don't really have a horse in the, in this race in terms of like the whole war or anything like that, which again, is actually kind of a, a nice like juxtaposition to Far in the sky at the end of this trio mm-hmm. of episodes, which has a similar kind of idea from a very different angle Um, where it's like, but for the Dinobots, it's like, well, we're just, we were created here. We're just doing what we're told. Like we don't really have a side specifically, like we've just been given a badge and told what to do. Like, but we don't, we, we don't have any considerations one way or the other. So, like, of course, they could be easily swayed to to join the other side in, in a way that, like, no other sort of Transformer could. And so, you know, it plays really well with them as just sort of, like, new characters um, as well as stupid ones, of course. And I think to, to add further to that, on the,
0: on the, the first episode, at SOS Dinobots, I think it was, where they debut... There's even that moment at the end of the episode when they're going to fight after they've now, you know, had their brains sorted out. And there's that moment when they're flying, when they're going, which ones are our friends? And they just go, the ones with this emblem on the chest, they're our friends. So it just, it it makes it very, very simply that that's the only reason they know that they're on the same side as well. So it does add to that from a deeper lore perspective, I suppose, is the way to phrase it.
1: Yeah yeah and and again it, it fits perfectly with like Grimlock's character in particular as kind of like leader of the Dinobots but also you know, he he is almost like the star scream of the Autobots, as I think I mentioned like previously, because he's always the one who's just like, no, I I should probably be leader here because like I'm the strongest, and so of course like you know Megatron making that play of like, hey, like you are you are super strong, like you know you should uh, you should go where that strength is sort of best suited, and you know whilst also and it, it's a really it's a really smart kind of feathering of that because whilst also doing that. Like Megatron taking all of those kind of sh- you know shots and all of that laser fire on himself also cements of just like you're super strong, but by the way, I am stronger than you. And so you know he 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 creates that entire hierarchy just like really simply, and it's it is a really kind of like smart little bit of writing. And again, it's it, this is a really good Megatron episode of just like actually sort of you know you kind of get a good feel for him as. You know, as as he's referred to in one of these later episodes, it's just like, well, he's indestructible, and mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, kind of is at this point because he seems to keep coming back. Um, but like, this is a really good example of just like, no, nah, he can he, he he can take quite a, a beating and still like be be just fine, and also further emphasizes why he's the leader. Yeah, yeah, it, exactly. At Autobot HQ, work has
0: begun on the on the two new Dinobots, but Wheeljack requests that Prime Trailbaker... Trailbreaker, excuse me, and Chip go to his lab at once. He informs them that the fragment of meteorite that they have is unstable and could explode at any moment, prompting Trailbreaker I can't say that well today, can I? Trailbreaker. Yeah, tra-
1: tra- tra- Trailbreaker is the microwave transformer that was was, uh, <laughs> was was not included in this series. That's one of those what-if
0: comic strips that you were talking about previously. <laughs> uh, prompting Trailbreaker to put a shield around that fragment containing the giant explosion that happens literally seconds later given that what happened just then what would happen if the rest of the meteorite explodes they're all wondering prime at that point just heads out and just tells everyone finish the Dinobots. i'm going to the meteorite right now at this point we are then introduced to the new dynabots and we get to see them transform at the same time we have got snarl and swoop respectively. Interesting line from Wheeljack here. I'm not sure if you caught Andy, but he said that Snull, that being the Stegosaurus of the two, just for reference, reaches maximum strength when drawing from the power of the sun.
1: Yeah, yeah, all all of his um like spiny bits are all um solar panels hmm. in the the tech specs. So uh yeah, but it's, it's again it's it's a really this is one of the things that I think made me love transformers as a kid like beyond all like the cool robot designs and stuff is often those little details in the, the the tech specs of them of just like, oh, you know this transformer is this way because it does this and like you know whether it's like their weaponry or little things like that those are always the little touches of like, oh that's so cool he's like solar powered. yeah, it's always good stuff like that
0: isn't it It's just it's a little it's like you said when in previous episodes when you add the word space in front of anything, it just sounds immeasurably better.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So sound amazing, same cool.
0: So with the Dinobot, the, the two new Dinobots, I should emphasize, now on the scene, they need to be put through their paces as like a test. So Blue Streak, Sideswipe, Prowl, and Ironhide are tasked with stopping the Dinobots in a little bit of a scuffle, let's say. The easy way to sum this up, Andy, I feel, unless you want to elaborate more, is the Dinobots passed with flying colors.
1: Yeah, yeah. They, They... they, they... Blue streak, etc. take take a bit of a bit of a pounding from from this one. Um, uh, which is also just like I, I feel like in, in in any other sort of scenario like this, you'd you'd be, you know. Use paintballs, use blanks, use something else. But it seems like no, everyone just goes for it. And it's like, well, what like like what if the dinobots really are so ridiculously powerful that they like kill half of the autobots? Then you know, maybe I mean, I guess maybe they were somehow like told to to hold it back, but it seemed seemed like a risky strategy to me.
0: Yeah, I think there was actually a line by one of them. It may have been by Blue Streak when they said something to the effect of if this had been a real battle, we would have taken them. Yeah. There was a line of dialogue like that. Prime arrives at the landing zone to discover that the meteorite and the original three Dinobots are now gone. Before he has a chance to ask HQ via radio what's up, Slag attacks him, much to Prime's shock. They make it clear that Prime is now their enemy and a one-on-three battle ensues. Now, uh, feel free to elaborate as you want, Andy, but just to sum it up from my point of view, this was a great short encounter that showcased not only the strength of the original three Dinobots, but also how much strength that Prime has as well. Got some really good shots, and it was just a really, really fun little bit of, of battling before ultimately the Dinobots overpower him.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's one of those occasions, because Transformers action scenes often tend to be kind of all over the place because you normally have like a lot of different kind of skirmishes going on at the same time and you maybe have a bit of Megatron versus Optimus Prime like as a centerpiece of it but this is kind of good because it's a bit of a more isolated kind of three-on-one that just lets you kind of like you know soak in those specific characters and kind of their strengths at that moment and uh, yeah I mean it, it this was also a moment that made me kind of realize like weird animation errors aside and, and there are a couple of them in this episode this was like a really well animated episode of transformers as mm-hmm. well like compared to some of the early ones even it feels like it had more time for, like, detail and stuff, like, because there are a lot of episodes where all the Transformers look kind of flat for the most part, where this felt like it had, like, a lot more, like, reflection effects and stuff like that going on. Again, like, not not Transformers the movie level of, like, oh man, that you've done a lot with this, but it felt like it had an extra layer of polish that other episodes didn't have, which is maybe why it ended up getting delayed to behind the ultimate doom, because maybe there was somebody being like, no, I've got to put all the reflections on the Dinobots here, like, leave me alone. Mm. Um, but no, this is this is a good-looking episode, I, I feel like, as a lot of these go. It, it felt like an episode that you could take a lot more kind of, like, standout, like, screenshots or clips of and be like, oh yeah, you know, this is a pretty solidly animated bit of work. Yeah, completely agree. And to, to emphasise the
0: animation quality and not to, to jump the gun too much in terms of what we're going to talk about, but just I'll do it as an all-encompassing, just the battles in general in this episode, they do feel like they're on a higher level visually than what we have seen. Yeah. Now, that fight I was talking about, the one-on-three battle, it ultimately concludes with Prime falling into a small ravine that was created by an earthquake by one of the Dinobots after all three were just shooting at him at once. The Dinobots survey their fallen opponent and are shocked to see that Prime is still alive. Now, this causes Grimlock to appreciate how strong Prime actually is, and as Slag is about to deliver the final shot, Grimlock just instinctively stops him and just bats the gun out of the way, though he doesn't actually know why, and they pick up Prime and head to Megatron. We then cut to the Decepticons, who are creating a blooming load of energy cubes, to say the least, uh, from the meteorite, excuse me. But Starscream notes to Megatron that the energy that these are all containing seem a bit unstable, But of course, Megatron being Megatron just brushes off that comment and tells him not to worry. The Dinobots arrive with Prime, much to Megatron's anger, because at this point, Megatron just thought Prime was going to be done. So why the heck is he here? But Grimlock makes it clear that he's going to finish him off when the time is right. Now, Starscream, who at this particular moment, Andy, looked like Thundercracker for a moment there, Mm -hmm. (laughs) senses foul play, claiming that, that deep in the circuits of the Dinobots, they are still Autobot slaves. Grimlock takes great exception to this and probably just shoots at Starscream. Prime then awakens and attempts to warn Megatron about the unstable energy from the meteorite, but Megatron, once again, brushes off that concern and just claimed he is lying. Back at Autobot HQ, Teletran 1 has detected the meteorite's new location and just how unstable it is. The new Dinobots then head out because, as it's pointed out, they're the only ones who can get there in time due to the distance that needs to be covered and such. Cutting back to the Decepticons, Megatron's now noticed, quote, an odd instability with the Energon cubes, quote, (laughs) to then Starscream retorting, you've picked a fine time to notice that. (laughs) Great little line there. And suddenly the cubes explode. At that point, the the two new Dinobots arrive, with Megatron ordering the original three to transform and attack. Now, before we get to the actual battle itself, Andy, up to that point, anything in particular you wanted to note it? Because again, from my point of view, and to emphasize what we've been saying already, pacing-wise, this was excellent and just really, really intriguing stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you'd have thought Megatron might have learned about like unstable energy sources by this point, because that is very much like a recurring theme of uh, energon cubes exploding. Um, but also, I would also like to question whether... The 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 energy from the meteorite would have been so unstable, had Optimus Prime not just shot at it. (laughs) Like maybe that was the entire problem. Like I'm, you know, not not here to just call out like Optimus Prime's health and safety issues every episode, but you know, he almost like let Spike and Chip get get crushed by said meteorite, and then he just shot a bit off, and then it got unstable. So you know, I don't know. I'm 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 a little suspicious that it might actually be all his fault. So at this point, we have got Dinobots
0: versus Dinobots. We get some amazing action between the two sides. And by Transformers standards, Andy, I'm going to describe this as being pretty brutal in places. We're getting pieces of armor being bitten off, just parts broken, bitten into, just full-powered blasts at each other. And the culmination of this comes when Grimlock is knocked down by the meteorite and Optimus Prime just dives in and grabs him to move him away from the meteorite just before it explodes. Now, the meteorite explodes, and there are earthquakes and all sorts happening. The Earth is not having a good time at the moment in episodes, it's got to be said. And it's affecting everyone nearby, Decepticons included, who are trying to make a getaway, in particular Megatron and Starscream, who once again looks like Thundercracker again for a second, (laughs) and as they're pummeled out of the sky as a result. Having seen that Optimus Prime risked his life to save him, Grimlock realizes that the Dinobots have been had and begin threatening Megatron, who makes a hasty retreat. Grimlock apologizes to Prime, admitting in the process of all this he was jealous. Prime forgives him, and the episode concludes. I'll give you a chance to talk about that Dinobot be Dinobot battle now, because like I said, mate, it was a fantastic battle between both groups.
1: Yeah, I mean it's one it's one of the joyous things about any kind of action scenes with the Dinobots involved especially in their dinosaur forms is again it's a break from the norm of most of Transformers which is just like pew pew laser battles like the the the, the Dinobots in their dinosaur forms are always just kind of like up close and personal, like right through the series, it's always just kind of like biting and chomping and like smashing things. Um, Like, you know, it's one of the joyous bits of, or a couple of the joyous bits about Transformers the movie when the Dinobots get involved, because, you know, they go and, and, and kick butt quite literally in one scene. Um And, you know, it's always just really good, really visceral kind of, you know, Robots smashing against robots, which you know, again, is, is is a lot easier to recreate. You know, with with your own toys, It's just you can bash them together a bit. But uh, but no, all, all of that stuff is is very pleasing. Uh, also, very much enjoyed Grimlock just being like literally just saying "Bad Megatron" it's <laughs> as if he's some kind of dog um, who's you know maybe uh, maybe sold the carpet. Um, so that was that was probably my favorite line from from the episode. I've got to say, actually. I've always really
0: had like a fascination with Grimlock. Out of all the Dinobots, I've loved all of them, but in particular, I always kind of gravitated more towards Grimlock. And I think it's just because of his voice and the way his lines are said. There is just something about it, which, to a child like I was when I first saw Grimlock, I could ju- I could say those lines. It's like me, yeah. Grimlock, stronger. It's just it's really easy to say. There's just yeah, something that- about
1: it. That That's the thing because it's like yeah kind of all the Dinobots sort of have the same cadence but the voice acting for Grimlock in particular is just it's a really good kind of like gravelly sort of voice and it's really it's always just really enjoyable to hear like matched with that and yeah it's kind of it's almost a bit like sort of the, the Yoda effect of just having that slightly weird sort of like word formation and cadence that is kind of fun and sort of becomes like an iconic thing but again i feel like especially as you get into the movie and the later seasons like the the writers kind of cotton on that you can actually do some fun stuff with that and kind of like make grimlock more verbose but not overly so and still kind of keep that whole thing up and and it it works really well. And yeah, like Gr- Grimlock is always like the 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 Dinobot MVP. Like you know he he always uh, he he always kind of brings the the good stuff as far as that goes because he is kind of their spokesman as well. I mean, most of the other Dinobots don't really talk all that much. Um, so he always ends up like being the spokesperson as well. Well, it's even acknowledged a couple of times in the episode when the other two
0: Dinobots, Slag and Sludge, are basically going, "Hey, look, you're the leader. You know, we'll follow you." Yeah.
1: So it's just it, the way it, is, it rolls. Exactly. Yes, yeah. Like, I, I feel like he's he's marginally more intelligent than the others and somehow is sort of like, yeah. And obviously, he's a T-Rex, so of course he's in charge. So at this point, I do feel,
0: before we sort of conclude discussion on that episode, I do want to give a bad shout-out to Spike when it came to him saying very early in the episode that perhaps... Because Chip's discovered the meteorite, and he was talking about him perhaps naming the meteorite after Chip, and he suggested... I quote because I wrote it down. Meteori
1: chipperoni. Yeah, meteorini chipperoni is just like oh, I couldn't yes. even write it down right. That's how insulting <laughs> it's just. <laughs> yeah, that was that was. Uh, at least I I feel like that was maybe an attempt to be like deliberately terrible. I I also enjoyed like earlier in that episode. There's a point where like you know Chip mentions the. The, the, the names of, like, the, the new dinosaurs that are going to become Dinobots, and spark plug was just basically like, how do you know dinosaur names? <laughs> yes! Like, everybody <laughs> knows dinosaur names, plug It's like, it's not that shocking. <laughs> yeah, there's...
0: <laughs> there was also a wonderful moment when he was just looking at the blueprints while they were trying to make them, and then Chip just comes on and goes, oh, that and that and that. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's kind of like an awkward moment. I appreciate yeah. for audio listeners, that was a very bad description there, but basically just holding blueprints and then just pointing at things.
1: So. Yeah, yeah I, I did actually, I, I do enjoy those like just kind of building the robot scenes, actually. They're just a really nice little montage of, yeah, just like, you know, blueprints and oxyacetylene torches and, and all of that kind of stuff. There's something kind of cool about that as just to like, oh man, they're, they're building a robot. That's kind of awesome. I know, right? So,
0: mate. War of the Dinobots. Any final thoughts or any closing thoughts? Like I said, from my perspective, love this episode. Great stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it is. It is really good. Like again, it's childhood me. Like vividly remembers like the the scene with the Dinobots fighting Optimus Prime. Like right? that was definitely you know if I had to reach into my deeper recesses of memory of just like you know things that. I really remembered as a kid when I was first watching these for the first time, like I remember that being kind of a thing and I remember that being like, oh my God, they've beaten Optimus Prime. Is Optimus Prime going to die? <laughs> Which is like, again, a recurring theme on this show pretty much every episode. But like at the time that was just kind of a really shocking moment of just like, oh my God, like they've actually beaten him. Like someone's beaten Optimus Prime. Because like other times, the other times where he's sort of, you know, ended up in, in kind of dire straits. It's always felt like there's always, like, a, a bit of a caveat to it, whereas this is just a straight-up fight. Like, there's no there's no foul play or anything, really. It's just, a, I mean, it's three against one. That is kind of a bit unfair. But, like, you know, it's just a straight-up, like, no, you just got overpowered. And that, that was kind of, like, a, quite, a, quite a moment, like, watching this as a kid. yeah. And I've also just thought ahead of, like, you just mentioned, oh, is Optimus
0: Prime g- going to die this week? And ultimately, we get to Transformers the movie. And just imagine at that point. <laughs> it, it, exactly, yeah.
1: It, 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 felt, it, it felt like somebody somewhere had been, like, dying to, with every pun intended, to, like, pull the trigger on that. And it's like, finally, <laughs> finally I get my chance to actually to actually do it and not have to, like, write around it. Like, oh, but then he was fine. Uh, but uh, we will come on to that
0: movie in due course, though, because right now we are going to switch things up to episode twelve, that being Countdown to Extinction, which Tangent Andy great Megadeth album.
1: Uh, I mean, uh, w- which came <laughs> first, the Transformers episode or the Megadeth album? Which is inspiring? Which that was ninety two or ninety three? I think off the top of my head. Okay, so they probably named it after the Transformers episode, is what I'm getting out of this.
0: I mean, hey, you know what? I'll take that. <laughs> it's got a great <laughs> song on there as well. Or as I've also put as a subtitle, Ultimate Doom, the
1: epilogue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, this is almost like the Ultimate Doom Part 4. Like, it, mm. it is very much an epilogue to that uh, trio of episodes. We begin with the great
0: narrator voice saying the following, quote... By bringing Cybertron into Earth's orbit and harvesting the unleashed energy, Megatron leaves the world in ruins. But Optimus Prime and Autobots fight back and destroy Megatron's starship, releasing enough energy to knock Cybertron out of Earth's orbit. And now the Autobots begin the repair of the shattered planet. Quote. First thing I want to note there, Andy. Last time I was asking you, like, is Cybertron, like, still on near Earth? Or is it you know, blown far away. And I like the fact they just outright acknowledged that the the power of all that that explosion just pushed it away. It was a nice detail to actually just acknowledge it. And it's not just been like blown a little bit away. They just outright said it's gone.
1: Yeah, although... I have questions about that that we can get to later in the episode.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know what you're going to say.
1: <laughs> I know where
0: you're going to go with that, so we'll we'll save that for a moment. But also, it's a weird way to phrase this, but I loved how they showed the destruction that was going on. I think a decent amount of it was new footage that they had drawn for it, but just showing the devastation that had gone on from Cybertron being there and just the amount of carnage and havoc that had been wreaked, it just looked like, damn, man, yeah, there, there had been a lot of damage, hadn't there?
1: Yeah, well and, and just the fact that it acknowledges it and you have the autobus kind of trying to fix it up and like you know repair the potholes in the roads, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, which come to Glasgow, please, Ironhide, like we need you. <laughs> um but <laughs> she written that down in a second actually as well. <laughs> <laughs> um but but you know, I, I like that because again, it's one of your typical kind of like kids cartoon things is whenever like a, a, a any sort of big like disaster Ends or is thwarted, like everything just goes back to normal. And like you kind of fully expect this to be like the next episode that sort of directly follows on from this is just like, cool, well, you know, here we are, just everything is back where it was. But like the fact that it takes the time and the trouble to be like, no, like I've got real messed up and you know, somebody's gonna have to fix all this stuff. I find really pleasing from a continuity point of view of just you know, you've actually thought this through and actually again, you know given that these were for TV syndication and were maybe not going to run in order. like That's kind of an extra little layer of effort to go to to A, set up this story and be like, look, here's, this is following on from what happens in this story, and here is like the, the state of the world at play at this moment. Yeah, 100% agree. And
0: just to emphasize what we were talking about with the potholes there and stuff, after that narration, we see the Dinobots pushing up parts of a building with Wheeljack directing traffic, as it were, Ratchet putting a bridge back together with Optimus Prime, Ironhide filling potholes, as I've written down here, even though he produces concrete himself, he's using a machine to do it. Yeah, well, you know, you've got, got, got a dog, why bark yourself? <laughs> and Brawn and Gears uh, helping to plug up a dam. Because if there's one thing that, if there's one thing that keeps happening in this show, Andy, it's dams get broken.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, if if you're a, a dam employee in this series, then you're you're having a bad time at this point. But uh, I mean, I I get it. Like dams are cool. Like I I I, I think I don't know. Maybe this is like a complete like back to front thing. Of because I watched so much Transformers, I had so many dams in it. I'm like oh, dams are really interesting and impressive. Um. So like maybe Transformers was what informed that. But I don't know I think dams are pretty interesting and impressive. Sidebar: Have you actually ever been to a dam? Because I haven't um i've been to a hydroelectric power plant um but i've not actually been to uh a a dam dam in kind of certainly not 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 the kind of things that you see really sort of you know in in a sort of transformers kind of way of like really impressive outer structures Mm. but uh, that's a whole whole other podcast about dams (laughs) coming soon
0: (laughs) our tour of dams i guess there you go at Decepticon HQ, Skywarp and the Metallic Mini Meatball, as he calls him to rumble, uh, are having a fight and cause more damage to repairs that are already in progress because the Decepticons underwater base also took a bit of a beating during the Ultimate Doom trilogy. At this point, we get our first appearance in the entire series, Andy, a frenzy! Just like he's been any the entire time. No one bats an eyelid at it whatsoever.
1: I was literally so excited. I don't know. <laughs> right, I was just like, I was literally, I'm not, I've I've written in in all caps in my notes, like frenzy at last. Because <laughs> yeah, like frenzy, frenzy is is there. I, I will also say, like as well as kudos to the metallic mini meatball, um, like line. It kind of made me realize, like, oh, Rumble kind of has a bit of a like Italian New Yorker accent going on, doesn't he? Like that's that's his. That's his That's thing, whether point. he knows it or not. So, like, I I suspect that is maybe kind of like a bit of a a, a a writer's joke about kind of like Rumble's voice because he does have a bit of that like New Yorker going on. So maybe maybe that is a deliberate thing. And now you've mentioned that, that that makes total sense. Now that you said that. Yeah, because I'm like, why, especially if you're a Transformer, like, why? I mean, it still makes no sense, really. Why would you call Rumble a meatball? But it's like, you know, it, I, I like it. And yeah, it kind of makes at least a bit more sense with that concept. And also, shout out to Frenzy's great first appearance, because he appears from just a hole
0: out of nowhere, fixing something. And Skywarp just goes to tread on him, calling him a geek. And he just throws Skywarp out of the way via his leg. Like, just throwing yeah. him from his leg. It's a great debut for Frenzy, it's got to be said.
1: Yeah, it is. I feel like that is like, I'm not sure if at any point it kind of leans into that, but I seem to recall that being a bit of a running gag that like Frenzy is just a nerd. And I I don't really (laughs) recall where that's come from or like how that's happened. But I'm sure he gets called like a geek a number of times in this series. I could be misremembering, but I'm sure that's like his thing. Like one of the, the rare instances he actually gets to do something. I'm just going to ask now, Andy, is there a Frenzy origin episode? No, I don't. I don't
0: think. Oh. I, I don't think so. Not that I'm aware of, anyway. But <laughs> so, as mentioned, he throws him out of the way, just throws him aside like he's nothing. And at that point, Megatron enters, much to the shock of everyone, quite frankly. And he makes it clear that he has got unfinished business with Doctor Arkaville. <laughs> at which point, Skywarp says he's gone, and so has Starscream. And Megatron is really annoyed about this. Now. The reason I want to just highlight Dr. Archival for a second, and it's because I remembered you mentioning when we were talking about the ultimate doom that, like, I don't think he comes back at all or something. And it's like, oh, wait, he's come back in a big way in this episode. And yeah, quite yeah. Experience
1: yeah I'd totally forgotten that yeah this the that all of the stuff that happens here is like its own episode because yeah like I, I sort of i remember the general machinations of what he sort of gets involved in, but I thought that was all part of the ultimate doom in my head so uh so yeah but this this is definitely a moment where like the the weird continuity of actual broadcast episodes kind of like ruins the moment of megatron coming back because like yeah we saw you like last week it's like, <laughs> this is not you know this is, it, it doesn't work quite the same when you don't have that immediacy of just following on to you know because the end of the ultimate Doom is pretty cool with just like megatron like floating in the depths of space and you're just like well you know that's gonna suck and then he just like he's back and you know it had it, it, ha- it would have had far more impact if that had been the the immediate follow-on to, uh, to to that whole whole shebang.
0: I mean, if anything, like again, just a sidebar again for a sec. Imagine if the ultimate doom trilogy had been the finale and then the first episode of season two was this. Yeah. yeah. Like that would have been a perfect way to pick it up.
1: Yeah, for for sure. But uh anyhow.
0: So anyway, back back to what we were talking about, that being countdown to extinction. Q laserbeak to return from outside with a sound recording of Starscream saying the following. Now that Megatron has been destroyed, I am the leader of the Decepticons. Understand, Doctor? And then the familiar voice of Dr. Archival saying, Yes, Starscream, I understand. Then Starscream adds, very importantly, Good. Take me to your secret laboratory. I have a use for your other inventions. Upon hearing this, Megatron immediately orders everyone to take to the sky because they're going after the traitors. At Autobot HQ, Teletram One is back online and shows imagery of Megatron back with the Decepticons. Autobots, roll out. We now cut to a what I've written down Addy, as a desert-like location, one of our favourite locations in the world of Transformers, <laughs> where Starscream and the Doctor arrive at the secret lab. Doctor Arkaville making it clear though that only his voice command can get them can get them to open the portal to the lab. And his his uh I felt the need to write down this quote, Andy, because it's such such an ingenious piece of coding to have a voice command to open your door. <clears throat> quote, I, Dr. Arkaville, genius of science, say open sesame. End quote.
1: Yeah, and I, and I, and I like how the response to that is even Starscream, who's not been on this planet very long, is just like, oh, oh, Open Sesame! Oh, how original! <laughs> Starscream, Starscream's like the
0: MVP of this episode. Just got such, so, just a great bit of character and character de- development, and also just one liners as well. Inside the lab, the focus is on the exponential power generator, which seemingly has enough power to blow up the Earth if it's tampered with. This leads to Starscream integrating that with a timing device, improving it, as he phrases it, to build power to an infinite capacity, which will cause the Earth to explode in 7 hours and 58 minutes. The Doctor is completely against this plan from Starscream, but is unable to trick Starscream into letting him monitor the device, and his pleas get him nowhere to, to not take him away either as Starscream makes for Cybertron with the Doctor inside so that he can collect the power generated from the explosion of Earth there. And that is when we hit a commercial break. So, Andy, first of all, anything you wanted to touch on about some of the stuff we've just been talking about? And then we can discuss how far away actually is Cybertron.
1: Yeah, I mean, there are a few things. I mean, for for starters, like why did Dr. Arkaville go along with the whole, like, you know, initial plan that that Megatron had in the Ultimate Doom when he had an exponential power generator in his garage? It's like, why (laughs) didn't he just say, what, you want a lot of power? Well, I've got something that can generate an exponential amount of power. Would that be useful to you? But no, apparently he kept that one in his back pocket. Um, But I do also, and again, this sort of plays into, like, you know, the, the future... The, the next episode of like, oh, Starscream's a scientist. because He's just like, oh, by the way, I just, I just added a timer to this. I've just put a thermostat on it because I thought right. it'd be kind of handy. <laughs> it's just like, I've just, and I know, I, I really enjoyed that as a like, again, especially because Starscream is, for most of this series has been more kind of like words than action. Like he likes to like, talk down everybody else's plans and tell everyone how great he is. But you don't get to see all that much of it. This is actually a really good episode for just like Starscream actually going on the offensive, going on the front foot of like, right, okay, Megatron's gone. I'm in charge. This is how this is going to go. Um, and and that particular moment is a really good one, of, uh, especially because of how it like comes back around later in the episode where Starscream's like, no, like I'm, you know, i I'm exactly the kind of person that would like, you know, put a spanner in somebody's plans to thwart them, so I know all the things you're going to try to kind of outsmart me so I'm one step ahead on all of that sorry, bad news for you, and then off to Cybertron we go question mark (laughs) so,
0: in the next scene we see them approaching Cybertron the Doctor is once again pleading with Starscream to not end the human race, and Starscream Starscream, there you go Starscream, Starscream. I'm doing good with names tonight (laughs) (laughs) He quite rightly, in my opinion, calls out the Doctor for suddenly being a bit worried about the human race after he was so willing to go along with Megatron's plan and enslave them all after. I think Starscream's got a point.
1: Just I mean, yeah, again, it's one of those really good Starscream moments of just like says what everyone else is thinking. Um, and it's just like, yeah, I mean, yeah, like, uh, I mean, even when the earth was being destroyed, like, you know, in the ultimate doom, it was far less about the human race and more about this was going to be my planet. So um, yeah, like fair, fair play to Starscream, absolutely right to call out the hypocrisy there. So in terms
0: of how far away Cybertron is, i tell you what, let me get to what I'm going to say next and I think we can probably put a timer as to how long it takes to get there, so bear with me. <laughs> I've got a few bits to say, so just roll with me on this. Back on Earth, Megatron sends Skywarp and Thundercracker out to take out the Autobot party that is trailing them, but this leads to, to a firefight between both parties, Megatron and Prime specifically having a one-on-one battle, ultimately Megatron ordering the retreat because he's thrown into a pond. He, was, he did not like that. <laughs> and also having the great line of two hero programmed to know when to quit when describing the Autobots
1: yeah I mean the the, the note I put for that particular moment was uh, Megatron ret- retreat can't even say it. Megatron retreats with a wet butt because he basically <laughs> he falls in a puddle and is very upset about the fact that you know his, his pants have soaked through and it's like well now I've got to go back and change I guess <laughs> and even though the Decepticons retreat Prime's crew follow them
0: On Cybertron, Starscream and Dr. Arkaville arrive in Shockwave's lab, but Shockwave says, as per Megatron's orders, the Doctor is not allowed inside this lab, prompting Starscream to make it known to Shockwave. He is now leader leader of the Decepticons because Megatron is gone. And Shockwave is a bit shocked by this, slight pun intended there, but my favorite moment is when he proves, it was when Starscream proves it, by effectively doing the Autobot equivalent of holding up like the FBI or police badge, which is a Decepticon <laughs> logo, it's just a wonderful moment that I laughed so hard at. just, yeah. I'm just imagine like Starscream, Decepticon leader.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I was like, I mean, especially if you take this into like the sort of Transformers continuity as a whole, like the Autobots have the Creation Matrix; they have this incredible, like, glittering. Crystal globe of power, and the Decepticons, like their leadership, is just like, now nah, I got the badge. I got is the badge. That's badge? all it takes. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I also really like in this bit where, like, you know, Starscream is just like, Yeah, I'm leader. And Shockwave is just like, What? <laughs> it's literally his response is just like, What? It's just like, even his like logic circuits are unable to comprehend the fact that that could possibly be true. It's like, you What? I don't. <laughs> No, come on. And then it's like immediately after that, he's like, "But Megatron's indestructible, yeah, <laughs> as well." Yeah, which is again, is, is the, the great like, which is the one bit of this episode that does work quite well after like the the the, the War of the Dinobots episode of just like, yeah, actually, you, you've got a point there.
0: And then also after that, worth noting, Shockwave notes he is unable to contact Megatron due to interference between there and Earth, so he can't actually reach Megatron. And Starscream ultimately just has enough of Shockwave's unwavering loyalty towards Megatron and orders him to not make any further further attempts to contact Earth. Shockwave ultimately relents and is told to set up the energy collectors as there is now only three hours until the Earth is going to explode. So on that basis, Andy, this is where I was going to with the timer thing. If it's basically eight hours when, when they leave and now it's at three hours... I think we can probably figure out how long it's taken them to get there. Roughly.
1: But then it yes. doesn't make sense when he's got to go back to Earth <laughs> a bit later. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, I, I need to know how long it is in microseconds, or astroseconds <laughs> rather. Um, and, and the, but the, the the thing that... And, and I I ended up sitting, like, thinking about this far too much and kind of like, <laughs> oh, figuring, <Andy. laughs> figuring out, like, my own, like, headcanon about how this makes sense. Because, like, you know... At the very start of this series, the Autobots and Decepticons crash onto Earth. They're like, "Oh, we're stranded on Earth." It's like, apparently not. Apparently, you could have just flown back anytime you wanted, but you didn't. And like, I, I kind of the only thing I can think of as a kind of make good on this is like, I guess one, maybe only the Seekers have like the range to do that, and B. I guess while they were collecting energon, like it would have been suboptimal to just like fill the cockpit with energon cubes because it probably takes more energy or more energon, if you like for a seeker to fly to Cybertron than it does like the energy that they could carry. So I'm like, I guess I'll give them a pass on this, but also they just flew to Cybertron after like weeks and weeks of like, ah, we are stranded on earth. Like we need to bring Cybertron to us. We need a space bridge. It's like, you could have, could have just flown. You could have just flown. Or unless Starscream was just going, no,
0: I can fly there. Watch me.
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, I'm sure there's probably somebody, some kind of mathematician who can like use the the time that it took. And I bet there's gotta be like some statistic of like the speed at which in fact I'm pretty sure like the tech specs for the seekers tell you that they can fly at like Mach two or something. So somebody can probably actually calculate exactly how far Cybertron is from Earth given those pieces of data. So if you're if you're a mathematician and you're able to figure that out for us, please please write in, I guess.
0: <laughs> at this point, Starscream makes some final preparations at a computer, but the doctor is gonna try and stop him. He tries to stop the energy collected himself at the same terminal that Starscream was working at when he is promptly electrocuted. Quite badly it's gotta be said. Because according to Starscream, the sentry monitors were on, so only a Decepticon can activate them at this point the doctor is taken away to the repair bay back with megatron's crew they are heading to quote unquote the valley of no return leading the autobots astray from their actual destination at that point they stumble upon quicksand and the autobots are caught and unable to move megatron's crew sans laser beak who is making sure that all is said and done when push comes to shove fly away Prime suggests to Ironhide to send a blast of super cool nitrogen into the quicksand. Laserbeak tries to interfere realizing what's about to happen but instead gets hit by a missile, transforms into his cassette form and Jazz catches him with his free arm. I feel sorry for Laserbeak. He was he was clearly outmatched here. There was just too many other Autobots.
1: Yeah. Yeah. He he probably shouldn't have flown around when he could have just sat and watched them, but, uh, but <laughs>
0: Also, I don't know if Super Cool Nitrogen actually could get you out of quicksand. I, I in a weird way, I don't want to know.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't care. It's cool. It's super cool nitrogen and it is super cool. Um I, I did like I mean, I'm not sure what the autobots were expecting from the valley of no return. Um but also like I feel like it's not a good cartoon unless you have quicksand in it at some point. Like, that is <laughs> that is the classic kind of like, you know, parallel of like, oh my God, we're trapped and there's no way out, but we have plenty of time to like monologue or for other stuff to happen to like build up the tension. Like you can't have a, a, a cartoon like this without having at least one like quicksand incident in it. And so I'm glad that we can tick that off the Transformers bingo card and prove <laughs> that it is a good cartoon because we've had quicksand now.
0: Uh, So at this point, the Autobots are able to get out, and then they play the cassette that Laserbeak is in that form via Jazz, and they hear about Starscream and Archiville's plan, and make for the base. At that exact moment, Megatron's crew arrive there with two hours left on the timer. Back on Cybertron, in the repair bay, Starscream's Medicroids, I think I pronounced that correctly, have been working on the Doctor, for which Starscream apologizes their crude work, and then a mirror is put in front of the doctor of which we've got the point of view view <laughs> as it were point of view angle of the doctor at this point and we come to discover he is now basically half cyborg and he is horrified at this which i think most children would be as well and it should be no while all this is going on shockwave quietly leaves the room so, what did you think when you saw the fact he had been made into half cyborg? Because honestly, I was kind of freaked out a bit, even like watching it nowadays, and just thought, flipping heck, like, that's a, that's actually quite horrid."
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's quite a kind of like body horror moment of, of of that, and yeah, like it's it's kind of it's probably one of the the edgier things that sort of happens in the season of Transformers is just like, yeah, this this guy, like, I mean, a he got electrocuted, which is not a lot of fun for anybody, like. I was gonna say been there, done that, but not like on Cybertron. Um, so you know, kind of a, a <laughs> bit, a bit different. And, and and also, I was not turned into like a, a cyborg. So you know, that was that was a bonus. But yeah, like that that is quite a shocking moment. Um, and also, I will say this episode really great for um, for Doctor Arkival like s- surprise and shocked and distressed faces. Like we get a lot of good close ups of him just going, oh, oh no, <laughs> this is this is another one, which is like the most justified of them all. Of like, oh my god what did he do to me i will add as well in a weird way it it's a real mixed
0: bag of emotions because you really hate the guy based on what he was doing in the ultimate doom and how he's helped all along the way but now he's trying to make amends and it is that weird feeling of i should feel bad for him but i kind of don't
1: yeah <laughs> in a weird way it's it's very weird it's an interesting one for this character as well because again that's the sort of thing where elsewhere you get a sort of like a proper redemption story where, you know, this would maybe be the episode where like, I'm going to pretend to get along with Starscream's fan, but actually I'm here to save the earth. But actually it's no, like he's still kind of like com- kind of completely self-serving and only interested in himself. And, like, you know, the only real reason he's upset that he's been turned into a cyborg is, like, it's happened to him. Like, you know, this is the guy that was, It was like, enslaving people, like, a couple of episodes ago. And now he's like, well, this isn't fair. It's like, well, no, neither was the stuff that you did. Um, so it is sort of interesting because there is that juxtaposition of, like, well, he's now kind of, you know, he's now sort of been hoist by his own petard somewhat, but also, like, in a particularly cruel way uh, where he has at least kind of realize that maybe blowing up the Earth is not such a great thing to, to do. Hmm. Do you recall off the top of your head if he returns ever again after this, or do you think this is his swan song? I think this is it for Dr. Archibald, but I said that last time and I was wrong, so maybe he does turn up at some point. I can't remember. Hmm.
0: So at the lab on Earth, Megatron is informed about the arrival of the Autobot, and then upon stepping outside, is just uppercutted by Optimus Prime and i question how that could happen because it's basically a flat surface and i want to see i want to see the infographic of how <laughs> optimus prime just appeared and did an uppercut on megatron because i laughed so so hard when that happened
1: yeah there's def- there's definitely a qu- a questions to be asked there but on the other hand optimus prime just uppercut megatron and that's kind of cool so i guess i'll let that one slide for for that reason alone so this leads to a little scuffle, and when we get inside, Prime
0: notices that the energy source, that, which I can't remember the name of the device at this point, so I'm just going to skip it. The the exponential generator? Something like that? Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> there you go. Uh, is in a very unstable condition. When suddenly, Shockwave contacts Megatron. He has disobeyed Starscream and is able to get through to Megatron. And he makes it known that they need to disconnect that generator as it's going to explode at any second. At this point, we see Prime and Megatron briefly having a little bit of a team up to try and find this timer device, which ultimately Megatron finds with two seconds to spare and rips it off the wall. At this point, Shockwave tells Megatron about Starscream and the fact that he is on Cybertron and what his plan is, with Megatron retorting with, When I get him, his catalytic data assembly is mine. Great line. Great line. Back on Cybertron, Starscream doesn't understand why the Earth hasn't blown up, and he orders Archiville to go back to Earth and check the device. But the Doctor is now half robot, literally bound to a chair, and basically goes, how? How can I return to Earth? And then starts saying, you need to go back to Earth and check on it. You do, because you're the only one that knows how it works. Which again, fair play to the Doctor. He ain't wrong. (laughs)
1: Yeah. And, and I and I love this whole scene because we get to see grouchy Starscream, who's just like been all his plan. His plan has gone wrong. And like his solution to it is just like, no, you idiot, you're going to have to fix this. And just great shots of, of Starscream just like kind of like hand on, on his chin, just like looking really grumpy of like, oh, God damn it. This is not. On to plan, and it's it's really great. Or or say, like, kudos to, to Dr. Archibald for just being like, How do you want me to get there? Roller skate. And it's like, <laughs> actually, Starscream probably did install roller skates in your cyborg body, so you should maybe be careful what you say. Um, but that is also like a, a very a very good line. Oh, such good stuff.
0: So at this point. Uh, Starscream then heads off back to Earth. Back at the lab, Megatron has disconnected the actual exponential generator itself, and it's also melted some of his like chest housing in the process as well. Further adding to the in- to the uh, the indestructible nature of him in general. Prime and Megatron start scuffling over the generator's core, and with it at its most unstable capacity, we go outside and we once again see a bit of a team up from Prime and Megatron as Megatron turns into his gun form prime loads up the end of the gun the barrel if you will with the core and then fires it into space at which point it goes past starscream who is about to arrive back on earth he basically goes the heck was that and it explodes and starscream comes crashing down to earth and of course what's the first decepticon that that starscream sees megatron it's a wonderful moment and it's a moment of uh oh At which point, the Autobots are seen joking at the end of the episode, wondering what Megatron is going to do to Starscream. This was just a really, really good episode, Andy. And I've got to say, I think, just, I, again, I know, and I've said it a few times in over episodes now, we've called this podcast Starscream's ghost and did not realizing in hindsight how much he will be involved. Because I remember him being in there, in, there, in there a lot, excuse me. But just how dark his character got in this episode, I freaking loved it so much.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's good because this this is a proper Star Scream episode. Like he is kind of the star of of this uh, of the show, and you you get to see yeah like everything about him, good and bad, and then you get to see Grouchy star Scream, which I still sort of really enjoy. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's it's good stuff. It's it's a good it's a good way of kind of like dovetailing and finishing off the stuff that was left resolved in the ultimate doom. like Which again, it could have just not bothered. Like, you you know, as as I'd recall that you never saw Dr. Archibald again, they could quite happily have just like, you know, just said, yeah, he's gone somewhere and never covered it in the story. But the fact they actually go and kind of give that series, like something of an, that story, something of an ending and kind of, you know, tie up the loose ends around what starscream does once megatron disappears and you know bring megatron back in the way that they do it's it all works really well um and i feel like optimus prime gets to be pretty feisty in this episode as well like you know beyond just the uppercut like he's kind of like he's kind of up for it he seems like he's kind of spoiling for a fight in a way that he's not in some of the other episodes and so he just like just gets involved um and so all of that stuff works pretty well too and then yeah like metallic mini meatball like probably one of my favorite lines of the series so far so like <laughs> bonus points for that as well and we got frenzy so we got frenzy stuff. just just need buzzsaw now and we've got the full the full cassette deck
0: <laughs> got the full mixtape pack <laughs> and of course from there everybody that brings us on to episode 13 fire in the sky Winter has arrived on Earth, and it is snowing everywhere. And you know what that means, Andy? It's bad pun central time. Let's let's review some of what we had to contend with at the start of this episode. Jazz is hidden as a snowman and reveals himself to Spike
1: and says, I'm not a snowman, Spike. Snowbot. Snowbot's pretty good. I, I actually quite liked that one. It was only from that point forth that it's like, oh no, oh no. <laughs> this was just the start. You should have ended there. Jazz says there's a
0: flurry in a hurry spike says thanks jazz I get the drift then a bunch of Autobots start launching some snow some snowballs at jazz which prompts him to say that's snow fair
1: yeah this this is this is snow joke honestly
0: <laughs> yeah so with the puns out of the way uh- at this point bumblebee launches a snowball at spike's face which prompts him to fall back onto like a hill starts becoming a snowball himself he then rolls down the hill rolls into some other autobots and then they all go crash into various objects one of them including a cactus which i found quite random because it's all explained in a second because crucially spike then says i can't believe i'm I'm having a snowball fight in july in the middle of the desert it's amazing prime is at teletran one at this point and is starting to scan the earth's weather which is then read at being 40 degrees below normal and falling rapidly the earth's core is being drained so andy 40 degrees below normal that's pretty freaking cold i don't think they'd be out there having a snowball fight (laughs) somehow
1: i I mean also uh, to to start with here i was thinking like oh man the I didn't remember Transformers having a climate change episode and then I was like oh no actually that's not that's not actually what we're doing here. We cut to Skywarp and Reflector having just finished tunnel
0: blasting causing a green crystal from the crystal shaft we come to find out to appear from underground and it's and they are sticking a pipe in it to collect the heat energy to then put into energon cubes. This very much being Megatron's plan for the episode. We then see Rumble having some trouble with ice inside one of the caverns that they're digging out, and after being goaded on by Skywarp once again, he causes an avalanche inside the cave, or a cave-in is probably a better way to put it, actually, and they notice something sticking out of the ice. And Megatron deduces it is a robot of unknown classification, abnormally large, and will make a fine Decepticon, he says. Back at Autobot HQ, Teletrans scan has found out where the Decepticons are, and they roll out to the Arctic Circle. Back with the Decepticons, they are trying to find out, sorry, they are trying to get the unknown robot online. With Starscream in particular, having, you know, an extra interest in what's going on. It turns out, he knew the Autobot, sorry, the robot, I should say, that was on Cybertron, and it was named Skyfire. Starscream explains that they were explorers from Cybertron, Megatron noted quite rightly that this must have been before that the Decepticons had a falling out with the Autobots. Starscream goes on to explain from there that they were exploring what was an uncharted planet at the time. This one, Earth. They detected no intelligent life, but Skyfire insisted that they go and take a closer look. As they descended into the atmosphere, they both got caught by a windstorm. It caught them unaware. They were separated. Starscream tried to look around half of the globe to find Skyfire because he simply couldn't find him. Skyfire had disappeared and ultimately had to leave without him. Before we move on from there, Andy, I loved this backstory about Starscream. And also just in general, when it comes to backstories of Transformers in the context of the cartoon that we're watching, there's not really been a lot of backstory in general. Like, this is arguably the most backstory we've had for any characters in
1: the entire show. And I, I loved this story so, so much. Yeah, yeah. It is really unusual for for this, like, for this continuity because, yeah, like, you know, you, you go and look at the more sort of modern Transformers stuff. And I mean, even the Marvel comics back in the day, they did do a bit of kind of like, you know, going, going back in time, but never really to sort of like, pre-war stuff particularly. And so this is a really interesting kind of divergence from the norm where, yeah, you get kind of a discussion of, like, you know, as much as the Autobots and Decepticons have been at war for a long time, there was also a time before that where, you know, everyone was just working, we assume, in some kind of harmony. And so all of that is interesting, you know, the reminder that these are just – were just robots that had other jobs entirely. Like, they weren't always all warriors – um, and that's the kind of, that's the really sort of rich theme that, that you know, sort of later Transformers stuff has sort of mined, like even the recent Netflix series, like goes right, digs right into that of just, you know, what, what happened, like who were these characters before the war started, like what caused them to end up in the places that they are. And so, yeah, it's really interesting for this is just, you know, it's kind of the... The, the toy selling entertaining cartoon to actually take an opportunity to dig into all of this and also remind you that you know the, the Transformers have been around for like millions of years you know the fact that they scanned earth and there was no intelligent life I mean you could argue that also could have happened in the 80s but you know clearly it's just a reminder <laughs> of just like you know pro prior to you know the war something it was just you know there was no kind of humankind, you know, that was that, that was a, a very recent thing in the grand scheme of things.
0: Yeah, and it also just adds more credence to how long it's been since they would have done that initial search. Because like you mentioned, four million years has gone by since, you know, they all crashed on Earth. Yeah. And Skyfire was there before there. So Lord only knows actually how long in theory Skyfire has actually been there for. Because we have no yeah. scope of how long Starscream's been a Decepticon for either.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, you don't... Because, I mean, I forget exactly how it's raised right at the start of the first episode. But that was like, you know, the war was raised for like millions of years or whatever. So it's, uh, you know, it's been been quite a long time. It's a, a, a long time to be stuck in, a, in an ice cap. And at this point,
0: Skyfire awakens and it immediately recognises Starscream. But their conversation on what actually happened is cut short as Megatron explains the situation from a Decepticon perspective, of course, and anoints Skyfire a new member of the Decepticons. Though, it should be noted, Skyfire is very noticeably uneasy with Megatron's use of the word destruction when it comes to saying what they're going to do to the Autobots. Skyfire asks Starscream if he's happier being a warrior than a scientist, to which Starscream simply replies with yes and highlights it is much more exciting. He also professes his desire to be the leader of the Decepticons, and Skyfire at that point pleads to bring Starscream credit to help him get to that goal and as thanks for freeing him. We then cut to outside where Skyfire has been revived, as it were, and in the distance, because he's on guard duty, he picks up to him what are unknown vehicles but it is the Autobots quote unquote it seems the time has come to make the change from science to war as Skyfire says he proceeds to attack the Autobots with Spike and Sparkplug being separated from the group including Spike taking an icy dip in the arctic circle how he's not dead
1: who knows we might come back to that later I mean, once you've had a snowball fight in like minus 40 temperatures, I guess like a dip in the Arctic probably feels kind of mild. It'd just be like, yeah, yeah, it is quite, quite, quite warm, actually, quite nice. So, yeah. <laughs> they are
0: crying for help, at which point it's Skyfire who is the one that responds to the cries for help because the Autobots are currently pinned down by this giant Decepticon that's in front of them. Skyfire goes over to help them and he's confused as to why the humans are afraid of him. And at this point, the humans, that being Spike and Sparkplug, are explaining that the Autobots are the good guys, the Decepticons aren't, Skyfire says they're wrong, let me take you back to Megatron and prove it. <laughs> Almost like your worst nightmare coming true at that
1: point if you're a human. Yeah, yeah, not 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 exactly the, the words that, that you want to hear, it's fair to say. Hmm. I do
0: like how, from everything I've just been describing, from the word go... They've really put across Skyfire's just overview of the situation. Just very much a scientist, doesn't want the conflict. And that that quote that I read out from him, it's just really, it just really, really highlights what his character is all about.
1: Yeah, and it's also a really good counterpoint to like what I was saying earlier with the with the the Dinobot episode, where again you've got somebody pulled into this war that doesn't really have the context to make a clear decision one way or the other they're just basing it on whatever information that they're told like in the Dinobots case it's kind of like you know a they they don't really care because they don't you know as mentioned they don't have a horse in that race and B they're also just you know very kind of basically minded in terms of of their thinking but we're like with Skyfire it's, it's it's the same thing from a different angle of just like well I've not been involved in any of this war stuff but like he's a guy that i know and i worked with and you know he seemed okay so i guess i'll you know you've told me this story about what happened so like i don't have any information to the contrary so i guess i'll just go with it. um and it's a really interesting sort of you know juxtaposition to the the dinobot stuff um that that has you know brings about an interesting story in its own right we then cut to Megatron and Starscream, who are who basically just
0: trap the two humans, Spike and Sparkplug, in an ice prison of sorts. Which Sparkplug is a, has got a contender now for potential line of the episode, Andy. Quote unquote. You won't get away with this, Decepticrum.
1: Yeah. I mean after all of the snow jokes earlier in the episode that seemed pretty good but in, in in the in the grand scheme of all kind of like transformers like hot one liners maybe maybe needs some work it's a very human adult line isn't it it, it is it is it's just like <laughs> mm, what what can i say like that rhymes with con but sounds negative mm, crumb you're a crumb <laughs> Skyfire is then put in his place by Megatron and Starscream
0: for overstepping his mark and promising them that they will not be harmed, that being promising Spike and Sparkplug. Skyfire is not happy about this and is clearly conflicted about the actions of the Decepticons. Now, at this point, the Autobots are about to enter the base from a different side of things, as it were. Half of them enter, half of them fall through the ice. So now the party has been split in two cliff jumper prime bumblebee and jazz go on them merry way as it were and they're able to eventually free spark plug and spike with cliff jumper once again being a bit gun jumper here when he immediately hears them and just goes driving off you know with we've got our, our weekly dose of gun jumper here also has a wonderful line about so sorry slow down jeremy he, he is the one that frees Spark, Plug, and Spike from the prison. He kind of melts the ice, if you will. And he does have a witty line about how his laser has a defrost setting. So, fair. <laughs> I had to note that, Andy. I, I needed to. We, we, we need yeah. to acknowledge, the in some way, the one-liners on this. Meanwhile, Hound, Ironhide, Gears, and Ratchet stumble upon Reflector, extracting heat from the crystal. Now, Andy, I'm talking about one-liners here. We might have line of the episode here. Okay, are you ready? I'm, I'm ready. From Ironhide. I'm not going to do the accent. Well, I'll be reprogrammed with a rivet ruler.
1: Yeah, it's, it sounds unpleasant and uncomfortable, so I'll I'll take it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, before that crew are able to report to Primus to what they've discovered, they are discovered, in fact. Not, not having a good day, they are. At this point, Ravage is then sent to see if there are any more Autobots lurking about. Conveniently, Ravage finds Prime's party and basically pounces on Cliff Jumper because, once again, Cliff Jumper's gone ahead of the pack. Because Gun Jumper, everybody, that's the way it works. Ravage, though, is taken care of by Prime and ultimately Bumblebee causing a small cave in blocking his path. On the surface, Team Hound is about to be taken out by the Decepticons. With Starscream admonishing Skyfire once again, for the cold clearly having having impacted his loyalty circuit, or something to that effect. Despite orders to terminate the Autobots, Skyfire refuses to do the job. So, so Starscream turns on him and shoots him. And at this point, also blows up the crystal, and we see a bunch of Autobots just blown to bits, quite literally. Anything you wanted to make mention of during all of that that I've been mentioning, Andy? Any notes at all you had or any interactions that you wanted to
1: uh, to impart on people that I may have missed? No, I mean, I think it's more just generally like as this episode goes on, like I, I really enjoy just like Skyfire's character in the midst of all of this, of kind of like seeing that progression from just like, okay, well, I've been told that this is how things are. I'm going to go with it to kind of starting to realize that something's up here. And it slowly, kind of dawning on him that, like, wait, I've kind of been sold a pup here. Like, this is not this this is not the fun after school club that I thought I was joining. Like, this is something else entirely. Um, and it's it's kind of it's a good progression. But again, as we talked about earlier in the episode, of like a good pacing to all of these episodes. Like, it feels like it moves at just the right clip. It's not. A sudden like turnaround of like oh my god like you know good good is bad bad is good I, I i can see the light now like there's this more sort of gradual little things building up and then bigger things kind of landing on top of that to be like oh wait the De- are, are we the baddies as the the, the, the comedy sketch goes mm, yeah I, I agree there really is a lot
0: of there really has just been a lot of room for stuff to breathe in these episodes so I mentioned that the Autobots got blown to bits a few moments ago. It turns out it was Hound casting an illusion, so that only Starscream and Skyfire would see that. Skyfire is very happy to see that they are okay, and this prompts Team Hound, as I'll call it, to actually get him to cover and start working on him to repair him, because clearly he isn't really with with the Decepticons. Back on the surface, else, well, sorry, back on the surface now. All the Autobots have reconvened and are reunited, and Ratchet has done what he can to save Skyfire. Despite there being confusion about the situation in that he's a Decepticon, why are we fixing him? But he's clearly not with them because he helped us. They are all pretty much leaning on the side of wanting to help Skyfire. But little do they know that Laserbeak was was prying on them, and reports to Megatron what has happened. Cue the Decepticons to begin launching an aerial assault on the Autobots. Now, Andy, you might know the name of it because I I don't think it was actually mentioned specifically in the episode. But Prime decides he needs to add some additional firepower to the mix. Transforms into his into his truck form, and a turret appears out the back of his trailer.
1: I, I don't I don't think that the turret has a name. I I, I think in in the toy there is like a, a turret thing that can sit inside of of, uh, of of his like truck trailer, but I'm I'm not sure it has a name. Like Roller has a name, I don't think that the gun does.
0: Should we just call it Turret?
1: Yeah, yeah. Why why not? I, I, I feel like there's a transformer called Turret somewhere in the car. i cry out loud. But it, it'll do for now.
0: <laughs> we'll retcon that at a later point, I guess. <laughs> and in the process of taking out Turret, manages to take out two of the Seeker jets in the process. When we get, at this point, we then get a crystal sword fight, as I've written it down, between Megatron and Prime. And there was a wonderful moment where Prime kind of starts spinning his sword in his hand, like full 360, and just cuts down Megatron's crystal sword. It was a really, really cool visual. Then Skyfire appears. Megatron orders him to take out Prime, but instead he rips off the Decepticon vinyl sticker and is holding an Autobot one instead and slaps that on his chest. (laughs)
1: thats that moment. is that, that that is the the wrestling equivalent of like ripping a t-shirt off and having a different <laughs> one underneath isn't it just yeah like, I'm, I'm actually, actually part of this off. faction yeah
0: <laughs> he then begins fighting various decepticons that being skyfire and ultimately has a dog fight with starscream a little bit of comeuppance here which ultimately he wins basically by the two of them colliding with each other but This also results in him ultimately crash-landing and being buried beneath a whole bunch of snow by where one of the crystals was. The Autobots are now mourning the loss of their new comrade as the episode draws to a close, with Optimus Prime saying the following line of dialogue. He won't be forgotten, Spike. He will live forever, so long as freedom exists. We shall remember you, Skyfire. End quote. So... It was a really, really cool ending to the episode and really dramatic and whatnot. I do have a question, though, Andy.
1: <laughs> I think I know what your question is, <laughs> but go on.
0: So, was this episode, in theory, produced before The Ultimate Doom?
1: Yes, it was.
0: So, by that logic, if Skyfire is now dead moments after his debut, how does he appear in the ultimate doom
1: i think this is not the last that we've seen of sky firing season 1 if i can recall okay. i think I, I, I think we will get to see him again in 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 very due course um <laughs> and so um yeah which again is is the the real kind of yeah mess of the, the continuity here um but yeah there there's there's, there's more there's more skyfire to come if i recall
0: and that is the end of that episode. Uh, again, not just to sound like a broken record here, but really, really enjoyed this. But in particular, I actually really loved the story between Skyfire and Starscream specifically. I think for me, that was really the peak of the episode and the high point, just getting to learn more backstory and pre-Decepticon Starscream, as it were, and just more of that scientist element. It was just a really, really nice a really nice dichotomy from the norms, just a nice change of pace from what we've seen. And given all these episodes have been so different as well, even better.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like, I I feel like why this kind of, like, you know, going into the the Ultimate Demon and beyond is really good in that sense. Because it does feel far more varied than your sort of formulaic, you know, it's not like a monster of the week. It's not an energy source of the week. It's doing different things with different characters. And this is, yeah, this is kind of one of the, I mean this feels like one of the more sort of grown-up episodes overall because you get to see that, like, pre-war backstory. As far as you're aware, like, can self-contained within this episode, like, a, a character has basically died or just, like, you know, is entombed for who knows how long. Like, you know, there, there are kind of – there are consequences and there are stakes to this the, in a way that even some of the other sort of more, you know, big-hitting stories – don't have like you know it kind of it ends on a sad note you know it doesn't end with a like yay we won and we've got a new friend it's like yay we won and we've got a new friend but oh he's entombed in ice well that's unfortunate and you know it's it it kind of it has a certain power to it and I I feel like this this is an interesting one to come back to as, as more of a grown up because I think childhood me was still far too caught up on the fact that the toy was called Jetfire and the cartoon characters called Skyfire and why are they different Mm. Um, which which did lead me down a did lead me down a rabbit hole after watching this episode because of course like the the Jetfire toy in the original G one Transformers line was literally just a Ma- a Macross Valkyrie um, mm. with Autobot logo slapped on it and so I believe apparently the G one series bible just basically had the producers write like we've changed the name for legal reasons um, and. Some of the rumours were also just that they... Because basically they had to change the character design for the cartoon because they were worried about getting into trouble, I guess. Because, you know, they'd literally just bought a, a bunch of a, the, the mold for like a, a Valkyrie from Bandai and just, you know, repurposed it. Um, and so th- they didn't have any rights to use that in the cartoon. So they created something that looked pretty similar, but also quite different. And so obviously they decided to go the whole hog and also rename that character. Um, but like Kid Me was very annoyed was because it was just like, he's Jetfire. He's not Skyfire. You can't call him that. <laughs> um, but, uh, but now grown up me, hasn't gotten beyond it because I spent like half an hour on Wikipedia looking it all up um but uh, but I can appreciate this episode a bit more in 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 its whole um because you know w- without that kind of uh childish concern so out of interest just to not not sidebar for too long but
0: how deep does the whole jetfire skyfire stuff go because admittedly, I've always, I've always been aware that there is Jetfire and Skyfire, but I've never really like delved too much into it. I knew it was Macross-related things, which, for those who aren't aware, <laughs> anything Macross-related in the West is just a giant minefield of information in itself. But in terms of the Jetfire, Skyfire thing specifically, how deep does
1: that rabbit hole go? Uh, it doesn't really go much deeper than that, to be honest, because I think... In everything other than that toy, it ends up being Skyfire. Like the the toy is the only outlier where it was Jetfire. Um, so in in every other kind of like in the, I think I think even in the UK comics, I think it was always Skyfire. There might have been a point where they called him Jetfire there, but like it was always a different character design. Um, and so yeah, it was always just this weird thing where like I I think some people have argued that technically, well no, actually they're two different characters. Um, and so, you know, they, they shouldn't actually be sort of swapped interchangeably. Um, but I think that's perhaps putting too much into <laughs> too much thought into uh, into the, the whole thing. Um, so, no, it's really just kind of an interesting side effect of just how the Transformers toy line was created, which was basically a bunch of Hasbro people going around toy fairs being, that's a cool transforming robot toy, how much? And just like, you know, buying up the Diaclone line from Japan and then just going by like the Bandai stand where they had a Macross River and being like, that would be a cool Transformer. We'll take it. Um, And that's kind of as far as that goes. Hmm. Have there actually been like... Jetfire slash Skyfire
0: toys released since then, or is that kind of one of the don't touch it, there'll be trouble toys?
1: No, I think I think there probably have been one or two. I've got to admit, I've not looked properly, but again, I think that they're all kind of called Skyfire or some version based upon it, so everyone's sort of gone with that. Like Skyfire is effectively the canon, I think, really, at this point, and Jetfire is just a weird kind of like toy, you know, redheaded stepchild of the whole thing. Mm. Oh well, there we go. So so overall, Andy, these three episodes together,
0: I thought, like I kind of alluded to at the start, a great set of episodes. Thoroughly enjoyed watching these. And imagining now that the that obviously the middle episode aside, and that probably being start of season two, like I mentioned, it probably could have been. If this was building up to the ultimate doom, if this had been done in the correct broadcast order, if you will, that would have been quite the finale to build to. And we've still got three other episodes to cover.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of, I mean, in a weird way, like the the counterpoint to that is I feel like there is a benefit to the fact that like the two Dinobot episodes are spread out a bit more. Like I think having those, you know, they would practically have been sort of almost back to back otherwise, and maybe that wouldn't have kind of quite worked as well. So there, there probably are some like unintended sort of positive consequences of it. But yeah, like, I think if you looked at it, in terms of the story that it was building of kind of yeah like bringing the the five Dinobots up bringing skyfire into into things and then going into the ultimate doom like it is a really strong set of episodes and it kind of it it sort of validated childhood me of having my recorded vhs tape of these episodes where you know i clearly like i must have watched them quite a few times because you know these episodes and the, the three to follow were like were the ones that i i recorded and i, I think i maybe caught like a rerun of the ultimate doom eventually because i do recall watching that film watching those episodes like multiple times mm. um but like i feel validated that like no I, rec- I recorded some good episodes of the transformers there so that, that was nice to see as well
0: And of course, Andy, you mentioned the next three episodes, which are the final three episodes of season one of the Transformers. That is what we'll be covering next time on the show, as it's episodes 14 to 16, which have the following titles. Heavy Metal War, Fire on the Mountain, A Plague of
1: Insecticons yeah a plague of insecticons is another one of my like favorite episodes um it has some really cool moments in it and I, I i was i don't know what it was i was a real sucker for the insecticons when like they came out like the toys of those like shrapnel was always one of like my favorite transformers toys it just had a really cool design of being like he's a robot but also a beetle and it's like i don't know why that's cool but somehow that's really cool uh but that episode doesn't have some really smart stuff I don't, Heavy Metal Wars was one of those episodes that, that did, that's one of the other episodes that actually did get released on VHS a fair few times, I think, like in the UK Mm. and the US. I don't remember that episode, but maybe when I actually watch it, I will recall it and, and what it is. So yeah, like Plague of Insecticons is the one that stands out in my head from those, because that was definitely an episode that I watched religiously over and over again, because I thought it was incredibly cool.
0: I mean, that might, again, I can't really remember what occurred in it exactly, but that might lend credence as to why it ultimately was aired last. Perhaps. I'm not too sure what what like the production dates and
1: the, the broadcast dates were like. Let me see if I can look it up quickly. Yeah, yeah. I, I also wonder if that was when they left last, because, I mean, the, the Insecticon toy line was definitely launched a fair way after kind of like all of the main toys. Like that was sort of one of the first sort of, subsequent lines to the initial sets of Transformers, so I suspect there was maybe also, that was maybe when they, they were actually, like, planning ahead a bit, so maybe they, they pushed it back to be like, well, look, you know, it needs to match the actual toys coming out. Hmm. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's why I ended up liking Shrapnel and buying it so much. Maybe it worked. Who knows? <laughs> Interesting to know, actually, just
0: sort of going on Wikipedia, you know, the source for all knowledge. Uh, according to this, the production code for Fire in the Sky is 700-04.
1: Yeah, that was so, definitely
0: yeah. So that's how early in theory it was in production then.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was pretty early, and I mean, again, it, it makes sense because clearly, it, if if my memory is correct, and and Skyfire has to to come back, then you know you need another episode for that before the ultimate dooms. So uh, yeah, it it all it all made sense in their initial plan, and then making a cartoon happen. <laughs> we, we all know how that can go. Plans change. Exactly. <laughs> So there
0: we go, everybody. Like we said, next time we'll be talking about episodes 14 to 16 of Transformers season one. And that will also conclude season one of Transformers. But as mentioned right at the top of doing this podcast in general, folks, we ain't stopping with season one. We will be carrying on. So after that, we will be beginning with season two. And, Andy, there's a heck of a lot of episodes of season two, isn't there?
1: <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, that's where the, the, the main bulk of Transformers stuff is. And yeah, definitely a lot of episodes that I've never seen there. So some, some, fresh, some fresh ground to be trodden, even if perhaps it will be inadvisable to tread it, because I, I, I hear that a lot of those episodes aren't great. But we'll see. Maybe they're all fantastic. <laughs> we shall
0: see and of course if you have enjoyed listening to us talk about the episodes or you want to be primed and ready slight pun intended for our next episode you can watch the episodes of the transformers completely for free and 100 percent legally on youtube on the hasbro pulse youtube channel that is the official youtube channel of Hasbro, so you can check out the episodes there. If you want to reach out to us, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. We are at StarscreamsPod, and if you would like to email us at all, you can do so by reaching out to us on StarscreamsGhostPod at gmail.com.
1: Andy, before we wrap up for this edition of the podcast, anything else you want to add? Yeah, we we didn't mention perhaps the best Starscream-related moment of these episodes in Far in the Sky, where Megatron just lobs an Energon cube at his noggin, and it just bounces (laughs) off his head. And he's just like, what? Which is fantastic. Like, of all the things that Megatron has done, like, you know, he's laid hands on Starscream a few times, but nothing beats him just, like, idly just picking up an Energon cube and just tossing it at his head. And just like, Starscream. (laughs) That the equivalent of just... It's just... It's just trolling in the finest form, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's just this sort of casual violence against Starscream at this point of just like, oh God, it's you again. I'm just going to, here's an Energon cube. I'm just going to lob this at your head because it'll just make me feel better for five seconds. You know, when you think about it, given that Megatron did that and other stuff he was doing, no wonder Starscream went mental in like the Ultimate Doom,
0: if you think about the production
1: (laughs) order. Yeah, well yeah, exactly. I mean maybe all everything Starscream has done makes perfect sense if you actually like watch it in the, the right order. I, again, what more of the deep kind of Transformers backstory that we need is just like, you know, Megatron bullying Starscream in some like office job somewhere before the war started is just like <laughs> the beginning of it all. It's just like yeah, you know, tossing like cyber paper clips at Starscream during meetings or something. Energon clips. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, Well, folks,
0: thank you very much for checking out this edition of the podcast. Be you watching on YouTube or listening to the audio version. From myself, Jeremy Graves, from him, Mr. Andy Hanley, you've been listening to Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast. We'll be back next time with the end of Season 1 of the Transformers series before moving on to Season 2. Take care, folks, and speak to you soon. Bye, Ron.